if you have your Bibles, open with me to uh, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, that's where we will uh, pick up our study this morning. Uh, and as you're, you're turning there, uh, when the, it's interesting that when a, when a horse gives birth uh, to, a, to a foal, that, that young baby horse is, uh, is able to, to stand on its own, with, usually within the first 30 minutes uh, of, of its life. Uh, and it's able to, uh, to be steady on its feet and, and possibly walk around within the first hour. When, uh, when a female lion gives birth to a, to a litter of lion cubs, they're born blind. Uh, they each weigh about one pound, and they're about a foot long. And uh, usually they, they will learn to hunt by their first birthday, uh, and by the age of two, they will be able to uh, completely uh, hunt and kill to provide for themselves. Now consider how long it takes for a baby to walk and talk, uh, for a child to, to run and maintain their balance or to, to carry on a conversation. Think of how long it takes for us to completely mature and develop physically and mentally. And I often think about why God didn't create us uh, like the horse or like the uh, like the lion, wouldn't it be nice if uh, uh, moms, if, if your your two year old could completely provide for all of their own needs? That would be life altering, wouldn't it? Uh, but but God, in his in his wisdom uh, and in his infinite knowledge, decided to to create us to have a long uh, maturation cycle. Uh, that it takes a long time for us to to grow up, uh, in essence, and for almost uh, you know two decades of our life. Uh, we are in a dependent relationship with our parents. Now, that, that relationship from, from the day that your child is born, they are dependent upon you less and less. Uh, they are in this process of, uh, of growing up and uh, becoming independent. Uh, and that brings challenges. That means uh, that every day your relationship with your child is going to be just a little bit different. And uh, what's amazing is that uh, this, this parent-child relationship... Uh, we all have parents, uh, and most of us here, Lord willing, will someday have children, which means that this is going to be one of the foundational relationships uh, in our lives for the duration of our lifetime. Uh, that this parent-child uh, relationship is going to be so important, and it's an enduring relationship. Even, even when your, your child uh, grows up and is completely independent, you're still going to be... Uh, parent or you're still going to be child. You still have uh, this relationship that's going to be with you at all times. Uh, and every one of us has a desire to be close with our parents uh, or close with our children. If, you, if we were to take a poll, I bet everybody wants a good relationship uh, in their parent, uh, with their parent or with their child. No matter what the age, no matter what the situation, we all long for uh, that closeness. But but what is it that keeps us from having an ideal relationship with our parent or with our children is simple and clear in the Bible. Sin uh, and our sinful hearts. We're, we're all human and therefore we are all sinners. And, and what do sinners naturally do? They, they sin and, and they sin against other sinners. Uh, and so sin is what begins to, to separate us. Uh, and our sin against our parents or our children or their sin against us is what uh, makes it difficult to have this, this harmonious relationship uh, with them as uh, we go through life. But the Bible doesn't just uh, tell us what's wrong. 
Right? If you notice, 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible is, uh, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. It shows us where we go off of God's course and for correction. It doesn't just say, hey, you're off course, uh, now figure it out. It says, hey, you're off course, and this is how you get back on track. Uh, the, the Bible tells us uh, what the solution is to sin, and it's not in ourselves. Uh, it, it's not try harder. It's not just be a better person. But uh, the answer to sin is actually a person. Uh, it's, it's Jesus, the one who we have been singing about. We are called to, to look to him. Uh, he is the one who breaks sin's power over us. He is the one who pays sin's penalty. Uh, so even though uh, the penalty of sin has been paid for, and even though the power uh, of sin over our lives has been broken, if we believe in Christ, that, that power of sin is broken over our lives, we still live in the presence of sin. Uh, that, that sin is still going to be here with us uh, on the earth in all of our relationships, which means that we need additional instructions. We need additional information and, and understanding of how, how are we to rightly relate to one another, even in the presence of sin. Even though we are a part of this new humanity that we've been looking at in Colossians, you know, that, that God is working through Christ to create a new humanity, and Jesus is the firstborn of that uh, new humanity, that he makes those new who believe in him. Uh, he's, he's going to teach us and show us now uh, how we are to live in light of being uh, made new in him. Last week, we looked at the, the relationship uh, between wives and husbands uh, and, and how the lordship of Christ over every aspect of life impacts uh, our relationship with uh, our husbands and our wives. Uh, let's, let's read Colossians 3:18 through 21 uh, together. Uh, in this section where Paul is going to, going to be addressing the, the Christian household, he's going to, to say, Wives... Submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So after, after discussing the most intimate of all human relationships, the marriage relationship, Paul is going to, to move to the next logical one. Uh, the, the parent-child relationship, which outside of husband and wife, it, it's going to be the, the one that you are in uh, the longest and the one that is going to be the most intimate and closest of all your relationships. Uh, and, and in this passage, we're going to see how the lordship of Christ impacts uh, that relationship, and we're going to see God's instructions. So uh, not so we can have a perfect relationship, because we're never going to have a perfect relationship with our parents or with our children, but so that we can have a, a harmonious relationship, one where both both parties are submitting to the Lordship of Christ. And what we're going to see uh, in this passage, uh, in these two verses, are, are two alignments that need to take place. Uh, each party needs to align themselves under the Lordship of Christ. And even though we're, uh, we're both aligning ourselves under the Lordship of Christ, th- those alignments are going to look different uh, because there's different roles uh, that we're going to see. And as we, as we read, Paul uh, speaks first to, to children. What he's going to say is, children, align yourselves under the lordship of Christ by obeying your parents. Uh, and that is the way that you are to align yourself under the lordship of Christ. Children, you, you come underneath your parents, and your parents are underneath the lordship of Christ. That, that's uh, God's plan for the family. So let's, let's look at this, uh, this first alignment here. The, first, we, we notice the audience of who, who Paul is speaking to. He's going to say children. 
Uh, and he, the word that he's going to use here isn't the idea of, of infants and babies or even young children. There, there are words for that in the Greek, and he doesn't use those words. He uses uh, kind of a generic term, uh, similar to our English word for children. It just means, hey, offspring. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have reference to age in the same way that if we said infant, you know how old that child is. But he just says children. So what he has in view here or is, a, is a broad span uh, of uh, this human relationship. It could be, could be a young child. It could be uh, somebody who's married in the Roman household that you, you could still be married and under the authority of your parents. But, uh, so what Paul has in mind here is probably those children who are, who are living in their parents' household and still getting the protection and provision from their parents in some way. Uh, that's probably who Paul is referring to. So that's the audience. Then he gives the command. He says, obey your parents. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a compound word with the idea of hearing and then placing yourself under what you hear. Uh, that, that is what he is calling the children to do. Now, listen to and obey your parents. And it's, uh, obedience is, is similar to di- and, but distinct from uh, what we saw in uh, verse uh, 18 with wives. Wives were to do what? Didn't say, Paul doesn't say, wives, obey your husbands, but he says, Submit to your husbands. And, and as we spoke last week, there's in that idea of submission, there's, a, there's an inherent idea of, of willingness uh, to come under the, the authority and leadership of your husband. But here, uh, it's, it's more appropriate to, uh, when you say obey, it's the idea of somebody, uh, one party issuing an order and another party following that order, which is inappropriate in the husband and wife relationship. If a husband's doing that, he's not loving his wife. Uh, and he's not uh, refraining from being harsh with her. Uh, but with, it is appropriate for, for children to receive instructions and to obey those instructions from their parents. And the command here is in, in the present tense, meaning that, that it's something that's supposed to be continual. It's not occasional. Uh, and it, it's not something, well, I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm, I'm batting you know, 75%. That's a great batting average in baseball, but a horrible batting average in terms of obedience to parents. Because what Paul uh, and God is saying here is, that, hey, it's supposed to be all the time. Uh, and we see that next. So he, he issues, he tells, here's my audience, here's the command. And then he, he says, here's the scope of the command. Uh, and he uses an exact number there. What does he say? In everything. Uh, and that's, that's usually our least favorite exact number, right? Uh, like, no, don't tell me in everything I have to obey. Uh, but, but God doesn't, uh, doesn't necessarily limit what, what you get to obey here or not obey. He's saying, hey, listen to your parents. And we also have to, again, every single verse in Scripture needs to be interpreted in light of the whole Bible. Uh, so what we can also take from this is God isn't saying uh, that children need to obey their parents if their parents are calling them to sin. Okay, that, that, that's, that's an implied thing. Or if their parents uh, don't allow them to, to follow Christ or believe in him. There are, there are many cultures in the world today, even here in the U.S., where, where a parent would say, no, you're not allowed to believe in Jesus. Uh, and if you do believe in Jesus, I will disown you. You'll be cut off from this family if you follow Christ. But in that type of situation, what is a child to do? Obey their parents or obey God. Uh, and we are always called to obey God rather than men. The Apostle Paul, uh, Peter said that in, in Acts. So that is, would be the one exception to this. But other than that, Paul is saying, hey, children, obey your parents in everything. And I understand that's a really lofty and, and difficult claim, right? None of, the, none of the teens here in the room are excited about that. 
uh, right? Nobody's like, yes, I get, to, I get to obey my parents in every single thing that they say or ask me to do. That's so exciting. I'm so happy. We'll just end the message right there and go home. Uh, no, but, but Paul's also going to give a reason to that. Uh, and, and I appreciate that because what do we always want to know as humans? We become really curious six-year-olds all of a sudden. Why? Well, why should I obey my parents and everything? And look at the reason that he gives. He says, this is pleasing to the Lord. This pleases God. We, we see that, that what God commands of his children is what is best and what is pleasing to him. Uh, and notice uh, that, it, that in giving this as the motivation, teens and, and college students, you, your motivation for obeying your parents isn't because your parents are the best parents in the world. It's not because they're, uh, they're you know, you, you've kinda, you, you're on their good side right now and they're being nice to you and you're kind of being quasi-obedient to them. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll obey them in that. No, he's saying uh, that you can please the Lord and your motivation for obeying them isn't rooted in your relationship with your parents, but it's rooted in your relationship with Christ. Uh, a couple of reasons why that should be encouraging. Some of you may feel that it is impossible to please your parents, right? That, that no matter what I do... They're always upset. They're never happy with me. But this verse should give you hope because it shows that even though you may not be able to please your earthly parents, it is possible to please your heavenly Father. And you do that by, by obeying uh, your earthly parents and knowing that, hey, you know what? They may not be happy with me right now. Uh, even if I'm doing everything that they ask, they still may not be happy. But in obeying them, in aligning myself under their authority and aligning myself under the authority of Christ, I know and I can have peace because I know that I am pleasing to the Lord at that time. Uh, and that should be encouraging to us. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk with parents in, in a second uh, because having those those type of standards that it feels like your kids can never uh, please you, that, that's going to be a way to provoke your, your children. Uh, and we'll see that in the next verse. But, but some of you teens and college students, you, you might need some, some convincing uh, that it is an overall good thing uh, to obey your parents in everything. Now, why is this good? Well, uh, number one, disobedience towards parents is, is a mark of the, of the ungodly. Turn with me to, to Romans chapter 1. Uh, and Romans 1, Paul is uh, in this section at the beginning of Romans where he is trying to, uh, even as we saw in, in Deuteronomy, he's trying to make a case and show that the law, that, that everybody is condemned before God, that, that everybody stands guilty because God is evident in creation, uh, that the Jew stands guilty because God is evident uh, in his word, and that's chapter 2. But look at, look at how Paul ends Chapter 1, starting in verse 29, he's going to list off these characteristics of those who are in outright rebellion against God. He's going to be describing the ungodly, and uh, and notice what what characteristics he's going to identify, and then one of them should shock us and humble us. Read along with me, Romans 1, starting in verse 29, he says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now, typically, we don't think of disobedience to parents in in the same category as those others, but, but the Apostle Paul does. 
which is kind of sobering, right? Turn with me over uh, to 1 Timothy, several books to the right of Colossians. Sorry, not 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's final letter, uh, he's writing to the, the young man that he discipled. 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, grateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Again, it's sobering to, to see uh, what Paul lumps in. Of He says disobedience to parents is on par with these other sins. And what does he say at the end of verse 5, which is pretty sobering? Three simple words. He says, hey, go hang with those people. Go spend a lot of time. He says, no, avoid, avoid such people. Uh, the, the sin of disobedience marks the ungodly. That's, that's the first thing that we need to understand and, and, and keep in mind of, hey, why is this a good thing to obey my parents? Well, disobedience is ungodly and unrighteous before the Lord. Secondly, uh, the home is the first place a child learns to interact with, with authority. Now, now teens and, and college students, college students, you guys are beginning to understand this, but teens, you will always be under authority. I know you may be looking forward to that day when you're like, okay, when I'm 18 and I can move out, I will no longer have any authority over me. Uh, ask that of your parents, right? Parents, do you have authorities over you? Yeah, if you have a job, which you guys will all have jobs, Lord willing, someday, you're going to have a boss, uh, and even if you, you are an entrepreneur, you become your own boss, you're still going to have the police, the government. You're still going to have a bank where you take a mortgage out from or you have uh, insurance of some kind. There's always going to be somebody telling you what to do and what you need to do. And it's important that you, got, you guys, uh, children, will understand how to interact with authority starting when? In their home. And that is of the utmost uh, importance. You better uh, learn how to interact with authority now because you will always be under it. Uh, that, that is a fact of life. Uh, thirdly, and another important reason is that honoring and obeying your parents brings blessing from God. So not only is it what God wants you to do, but it's the best thing for you. Listen to this verse, a parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He says, Honor your father and mother, quoting the, something in Exodus and Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments. He says, This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul's pointing back to the Old Testament, to Exodus and Deuteronomy, and saying, Look, of the Ten Commandments, this is the first one that God, when he, when he gave it, he says, Hey, there, there's a blessing and a benefit to it. He doesn't do that with the other ones. He says, hey, this is, if you do this, it will be well with you and you will live long in the land. Speaking of the land of Canaan, there are blessings that come with honoring and obeying your parents. And then reason number four, you should do this, that obeying your parents and receiving instruction from them helps you to learn about the dangers you do not see. Uh, here's a pop quiz for you. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, when do the Proverbs begin? Talk to me. When, when do they begin? 
like, it's a trick question. I know it. Don't answer. Don't answer. Don't say anything. Uh, the Proverbs don't even begin until chapter 10. Solomon spends nine chapters speaking with his son, saying, hey, are you ready to listen? Are you ready to listen yet? Hear my instruction. Follow my instruction. Think about that. Uh, if, if your parents kept saying the same thing to you for nine straight days or nine straight chapters, what would you be like screaming? I get it. I understand. But, but what Solomon is saying is you're not ready for wisdom until you're ready to listen. Of, of hey, are you ready to, to receive instruction and help from your parents? Because there are going to be some dangers that you do not see. And teens and and college students, I have two other questions for you. And in asking these questions, I'm not saying that your parents are perfect or that they're all-knowing. We both know that's not true. Uh, And I'm not saying that you don't know anything. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence in any way, but I'm going to ask these questions. Do your parents have more life experience and knowledge of the world than you? And is it possible that they have a more comprehensive understanding of the dangers and deceptions of sin? Yeah, and the answer is a resounding yes to both of those. Uh, And it's easier to acknowledge this, that your parents know more than you when when you're a little kid, right? Uh, uh, Children, when they're very young and limited in their knowledge and understanding, they they need help and guidance because they're not aware of the dangers around them. That's why... Uh, parents have to, to teach their kids and uh, force them to obey when it comes to like not putting a penny in the electrical outlet or, or not you know, setting up a, a play area in the middle of the street uh, or not putting their hand on the stove, right? These are things that parents, when, when your children are young, you make sure that they don't do that because you don't want them to experience the consequences of that. But young kids, they don't even understand the danger. What's wrong with playing in the street? What's wrong with uh, doing craft time on the stove? Uh, They don't comprehend it, and they need parents to help them see the danger that they don't necessarily understand yet. But teens, as you you grow older, uh, and as you're growing rapidly, uh, physically and mentally, something comes over you, and I I know it because I experienced it, and guess what? Your parents experienced it also, uh, uh, that you begin to to think that you know all of the danger that's out there. But, but I have to say, you, you really you don't know what you don't know. You, you need somebody else to, to help fill in the blanks for you. And even though your parents are, uh, are giving you instructions, you're tempted to believe that, that you know better than your parents or that you know better than God. You begin to question what both God and your parents say. Did God actually say... And then you begin to think, well, well, maybe I won't suffer the consequences that my parents told me about. Maybe I'll be the exception. Uh, and, and you know what? Actually, this sin will help me better understand the world. I don't know that that's really bad until I go and experience it, until I try it. Well, who does that remind you of in Scripture, that line of reasoning, questioning God's word and then doubting God's word? Doesn't it remind you of none other than the serpent in the garden? Isn't that how he led Adam and Eve astray? Hey, Does God really mean that you'll die? I don't think God means that you'll die. You'll be fine. Just go ahead and eat the fruit. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and who proved to be right and who proved to be a liar? We need to understand and check those questions. And there's this saying that the burned hand teaches best. And the point of that is to show that the lessons that really sink in are uh, the ones that we experience and learn through pain. Right? And while that's true, 
We will learn by being burned. That's not the only way to learn. And Scripture would say that that way of learning is how the fool learns. That's not how the wise person learns in Scripture. Scripture says that the wise man will listen to the warning and instructions of parents. We see that over and over again in Proverbs and uh, of the warnings and instruction from God. And whether you are wise or foolish will be revealed by the way that you respond to instruction and warning. You want to know if you're you're a, a wise man or a fool? How do you respond when somebody says, hey, there's a danger here, or I don't think you should do that? Listen to these verbs in, or verses in Proverbs. Chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools don't want it. Proverbs 13, 1. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. What does a scoffer do? What kind of noise do they make? Uh, and you know, think about how many teens, what's your favorite go-to noise? What? Here's, a, here's an interesting verse. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. So what did Scripture call me? What? He who hates reproof is stupid. That, that those who, who do not receive instruction, they're, in the illustrious words of Solomon, stupid. Proverbs 29, 1 is also very scary. It says, He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. What Solomon is saying there, if you continually and repeatedly reject instruction, that there will come a time when the full weight and consequences of your sinful decisions will come upon you. And sometimes that's irreversible. And sometimes there, there won't be healing from that. There will be scars that will so deep that they will last with you. And your parents don't want that for you. Your parents desperately want you to learn, to receive instruction. Your parents don't want you to be burned and learn in that way. They want you to receive their counsel and instruction and avoid being burned altogether. Children, teens, young adults, you are responsible to obey your parents in everything. Do this because it brings great benefit and blessing God's ways are always best, and do this because it pleases the Lord. Now, as you obey and submit to the authority of your parents, you emulate Christ, who submitted himself to who? The will of God the Father. And I know you have a desire to rule your own life, to be your own boss, but Christ calls you to surrender that desire, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him. And that begins by obeying your parents at home. And parents, in this command to your children, you also have a role to play. Biblical biblical counselor Paul Tripp says, Your children must learn early that they have been born into a world of authority, and they're not it. That's an important thing, and, and it's important for kids to learn this early on, because as your kids grow, this becomes a lesson that's more and more difficult for them to, to submit to and understand. Uh, Scripture teaches that as parents, your responsibility is to teach your children to obey you. And not just to obey you because you have some special uh, authority, but because who's placed you in authority over their life? God, parents, you have a delegated authority. uh, One that uh, is not intrinsic to you, but one that God has entrusted to you. And if God has entrusted that authority to you, 
means you're going to have to give an account for how you have used that authority, uh, how you have taught and discipled your kids. As we read in, in Deuteronomy, uh, as you look at Deuteronomy, uh, it's an intergenerational book that Moses is concerned for multiple generations of Israel. And he says, hey, every generation needs to do what? To constantly be training, discipling, mentoring that next generation uh, because uh, at any given point, that single generation can fall away from the Lord. Uh, and we'll see that in Deuteronomy. We'll see that. That's why Paul is giving this command here in Colossians. So, parents, you are called to point your children to the Lordship of Christ. And they should see that you are also under the authority and that you, uh, you should see that they are under your authority. And your kids need to see that both of you are under the authority of Christ. It's not uh, you're outside over here uh, as a rogue agent of God saying, hey, you obey God, but I'm not going to. You need to make sure that, that you are stacked under the authority of God and that you are over your children. Uh, which brings us to, <clears throat> to our second point. Uh, our, our second alignment is that the parents, we are, you are to align yourselves under the lordship of Christ by not provoking your children. Uh, and this is the, the beauty here. And I see some, uh, some smirks and smiles from the teens. You're like, yeah, my parents are going to get it now. Uh, but, but we need to, to understand, just like we can't look at uh, the, the verses that we looked at last week, verses 18 and 19, regarding wives and husbands. We can't look at any one of those uh, in isolation, that the, the two go together. So God's saying, hey, for, for the husband-wife relationship to work, the, husband, uh, the wife needs to, to submit and the husband needs to love. Uh, and when those two things are done in harmony, it's pleasing to God, and it's so much easier on that relationship. Uh, and in the same way, parents, what God is calling you to do is even though your children are called to obey you, don't provoke them. Uh, don't exasperate them. I love that word. It's in the NASB, not in the ESV. But don't, uh, don't cause them to, to be aroused to, to anger or discouragement. Now, that word for uh, provoke is, is to cause someone to react in a way that suggests acceptance of a challenge, uh, of don't necessarily throw down the gauntlet to your, to your teens uh, on an everyday basis. And, and the idea here, this is an action uh, that's in progress that needs to be discontinued. Hey, stop it. Don't, don't provoke your, your children. Uh, the gospel transforms the Roman household so that, so that the, the dad, the father, the husband, the master wasn't Lord anymore. In the Roman way of thinking, that man was the Lord of his home. But now in this Christian way of thinking, he says, hey, uh, the Lord of the home is who? Jesus. And everybody is to live under the lordship of Christ. Uh, and uh, again, it's a, it's a delegated authority. And we also have to understand, so we see the same thing here in this verse. We see the audience fathers. And, and when he's speaking of fathers, uh, I think he's speaking of fathers. If he wanted to say parents, he could have used that word because he uses it in the verse immediately before that. Uh, and I think he's addressing fathers because, again, who is the head of the home under Christ is, is the dad, is the man. But I also think uh, that what is spoken of and commanded of the father is also going to be applicable to the mother under the leadership of <clears throat> her husband as well. So it's, it's to both parents here and we need to understand the motivation or realistically the, the consequences of if you provoke your children, what's going to be the result? What does it say in the verse? He says that the motivation for this, he says, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The idea of, of losing heart, of, of losing their spirit, uh, to, to become disheartened to the extent of losing motivation. Uh, and when 
when demands upon a child are, are so great, they begin to feel that they have no hope of ever fulfilling those commands. They, I have no hope of this. And, and they begin to, to lose heart or openly rebel. And one pastor says, A child unable to please his father soon becomes a child unwilling to try. If you set those standards so high where it's like, I have absolutely no hope, or you are constantly provoking them, they're just they're going to stop trying. In the, in the early French Revolution, the schoolboys in the city of Bourges, I'm not good at French, so if I pronounce that uh, incorrectly, uh, it's spelled B-O-U-R-G-E-S. Uh, the the schoolboys of that city from 12 to 17 years of age formed themselves into a band of hope. They wore a uniform, they were taught how to drill, and on holidays they, they unfurled their flag, and what was written on that flag could be translated as, Tremble, tyrants, we shall grow up. And, and oftentimes when children are provoked, they, they begin to rebel. And what do they begin to constantly look forward to? Freedom. Say, hey, one day I will be out from under my parents and I will get to do whatever I want. And that's true. And, and that's where as, as your children get older, you have to give them more and more freedom. And the, the authority that you have over them kind of lessens, right? When, when your child is one, uh, and they disobey, what can you do? Yeah, if they're, not, if they're getting into something that you're, they're not supposed to get into, you just pick them up and physically move them somewhere else. But when your 15-year-old son's doing that, you can't necessarily say, okay, I don't want you hanging with that girl. Come over here. You don't, like, pick him up and carry him away. He could probably pick you up uh, at that point in time. Uh, and so gradually there's a, there's a lessening of your authority in your life. And as that declines, parents, what you want to be taking place is an increasing of your influence. You want to be, be raising your kids with a desire prayerfully. And again, you can't create this within them. But, or you can by, by, I guess, influence, meaning that they have a desire for your input in their life. Uh, and that comes when you act like you trust them, when you act like you, you value their opinion, where you give them an increasing level of liberty so that over time they want your input even though you can't force them into it. Uh, and uh, here's, a, here's a list um, of if you want a how-to guide to provoke your kids, here would be my how-to guide. Okay? Number one would be smother them by attempting to control everything in their lives. Right? I'm, I'm expecting some amens from some of the, some of the children here. Amen. Uh, but, but here I have to make a note because pretty much every teen has probably felt, my parents are smothering me. Uh, and and what, what I mean by this is not your parents won't let you do every single thing that you want to do. That's not them smothering you. Them, them keeping you back from sin or hanging with the wrong crowd is not smothering. That's loving. Uh, and teens would be quick to say, my parents are overprotective. Uh, but, but we have to understand it's not overprotective for your parents to keep you from wandering into sin or away from the Lord. That's a loving thing. But parents, you can be overprotective and you need to understand that. That would be the first way that you can exasperate your kids. Second way is have absolutely no standards or expectations of them. This would be the flip side uh, to overprotective. Okay? One's, hey, I, I constantly manage everything that they do. The second way is I manage nothing that they do. I just give them complete freedom, uh, and, and that's not good for kids. And ultimately, what does that communicate to them? That you don't love them, that you don't care how they're doing. Hebrews 12 talks about that. 
says, hey, we have earthly fathers and they discipline us and we love them for it because they help us to, to go in the direction that we need to go. Third way that you can provoke your kids, manipulate them into obedience by using fear, reward, or shame. Right? That'll work in, in the short term. Of, again, your, your physical intimidating presence to a young child, that works. That will get them to obey. But what will eventually happen? Right? That, that could work as long as my mom was bigger than me, but now I'm seven inches taller than my mom. So when that happens in high school, she can't use physical intimidation to get me to do what she wants anymore. And those, those will work for a short term, but in the long term, they will breed uh, exasperation. The fourth way that you can provoke your parents. Uh, show favoritism or compare your kids to one another. Think of uh, Jacob uh, and Esau with their parents, Isaac and Rebekah. They, each parent had a favorite. How did that work out? Chaos. Brothers separated uh, for years and years. Fifth way, create a culture of works-based approval. Teach your kids that you, they have to earn your affection. Right? That's anti-gospel. Is that, how we, is that how we make ourselves pleasing to the Lord? By trying harder, by doing all of these things? No, you don't want to create a system uh, in your own home that way either. Uh, where it's a, a meritocracy and uh, their status within the home and within the family is based upon what they do or don't do, it would be miserable. Sixth, uh, be critical of them instead of encouraging them. They don't, don't, uh, don't speak the, the, uh, the truth of what they've done well, but only focus upon uh, what they do poorly. Uh, and a big way to do that is sarcasm. It's a great way to throw criticisms at your children. Uh, but it's devastating because there's always a little, little bit of truth in sarcasm, right? Uh, so there, there's a, it, it's kind of funny, but then it also kind of stings. Uh, of, oh, that, 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 that's a zinger. And especially if parents are, are sending those, Proverbs would call those, uh, somebody who's sending fire arrows at somebody and then says, oh, I was just kidding. And usually when you make a sarcastic comment, what do you have to clarify? I'm just joking. Be like, oh, why do you have to clarify that? Uh, one author, Haim uh, Ginnat, wrote, A child learns what he lives. If he lives with criticism, he does not learn responsibility. He learns to condemn himself and to find fault with others. He learns to doubt his own judgment, to disparage his own ability, and to distrust the intentions of others. And above all, he learns to live with continual expectation of impending doom. That, that's what criticism does. Number seven, uh, act as if your children are unwanted or an inconvenience to you. If, if you want to provoke your kids, uh, act like you're exasperated just when they come to you. What do you want? Just that level of exasperation towards them will, will communicate that they're unwanted or an inconvenience. Number eight, refuse to show them affection. Uh, physically, verbally, uh, withhold affection from them. That's, a, that's a, an easy way to, to provoke your kids. And, and in generations gone by, um, that, that was like the, the popular thing for dads to do. Never say I love you. Never, never give your kids a hug. There are a generation, usually after uh, that post-World War II, where it's just the, the man's supposed to be stoic and, and show no affection. Well, that's not biblical. Number nine, uh, treat your children as if they are younger or older than they really are. You can sometimes call young kids to too much uh, and kind of don't let them be kids. And sometimes you can, you can take older kids and treat them like they're really young, like you don't value their opinion, like they're still six years old. Uh, and you can't do either. You need to treat your kids at the appropriate age. 
Number 10, discipline them in an inconsistent or ungodly manner. Uh, that, that will be the, the quickest and easiest way to provoke them to anger. Is, yeah, physically or verbally abuse them or discipline them uh, excessively. Uh, that will be sure to provoke anger. And then number 11, allow injustice to reside within the home. Think David and Absalom. Uh, when uh, Amnon, uh, one of David's sons, raped Tamar, one of David's daughters, David did nothing about it. And so David's other son, Absalom, said, hey, you know what? Dad's not doing anything. I'll take control of this, and I'll go kill Amnon. And so then Absalom kills Amnon, and David still does nothing. And, and it's just constant provocation. And ultimately, Absalom ends up in a civil war against his father because sin is underdressed and injustice was allowed to reside in the home. And then number 12, live an unholy life while claiming to follow Christ. Claim to follow Jesus and then be, be a hypocrite. What will that do? And that's oftentimes what, what will have this, this anger within young men. They can't necessarily put their finger on it. They say, I'm, I can't say I'm, I'm angry because of this, but they'll see their parents saying and doing one thing at church and then doing something completely different at home. That, uh, I know that's an incomplete list. Uh, and some of those are from uh, John MacArthur, and I've kind of reworked them. But uh, and there's many more. But, but being aware of those things is key. Uh, of, in what ways am I provoking my children? And, and parents, if you realize that you have been guilty of one or more of these, run to your children. Run to your teens. Ask for their forgiveness and, and repent. Be, begin to do the opposite. Turn and trust in Christ rather than trusting in your own ability to, to manipulate. And, and this morning, as we, we've seen again how God instructs both parties, uh, if you're going to have a harmonious relationship with uh, your children or your parent, you, you have to fulfill your role. Children, you're, you're called to obey. Parents, you are called to not provoke your kids. And understand, if you do provoke them, what's going to be the result? They're going to lose heart. They're going to wander from you. They're going to wander from the Lord. And on either side, there's a tension uh, that we have to, to keep us on. And that's, that's what the Bible always does. Uh, it keeps us balanced on this razor-thin edge uh, in our relationships and in these truths. Because on either side, if parents don't call their children to obey or if they exasperate their kids, you're going to have a devastation within the home. And this parent-child relationship is, has been so important throughout history. Like I said, as, as we read through the book of Deuteronomy this month, just... Just make, make notice of how often Moses points backwards and says, hey, he's writing to the second generation of Israel. And he's writing to the second generation because what happened to the first generation? They disobeyed, they rebelled against God, and they got to, to have the privilege of wandering in the desert for 40 years. That sounds like fun, right? And so when Moses says, hey, look what your parents did and look at the fruit of it, it bears some, some, some semblance because that generation that he's writing to, they grew up wandering in the desert. And so they understand the consequences of decisions. They understand that's a rebellion of the first generation and all that it brought to them. And what we see here in Colossians is the same. It's similar. Children are called to obey their parents. Parents are called to not provoke their children to rebellion. And Moses also knew that the burned hand teaches best. He said to Israel, hey, look at, look at the, all of the burn scars on your parents. Look at them. Learn from them. How did they get those? 
And I want to encourage the parents and, and call you guys to do the same with your children. Show your children the scars that you have physically, emotionally, spiritually from the mistakes that you've made. Be open and honest with them and say, hey, look, this is what I did. Here's where I went contrary to God's word. And look at, here's all of the consequences from that. Look at the the scorched earth in my life. Look at the burns on my hands, on my soul from what I did. When when I was young, my dad told me a story uh, of when he was a kid. And uh, when he was about eight years old, he was in his school classroom, and they had these uh, accordion doors that would, you know, could subdivide the room. Uh, and he got his finger, his middle finger, stuck in that door, uh, and it completely smashed the end of it. So now if, my, if you were to hold your hand out like this, uh, you have different lengths of your fingers. My dad's fingers are all the same height because, because it got smashed. So When my dad told me that story, guess what I became very, very aware of for the rest of my life? Don't get your fingers stuck in those doors. Uh, And so we need to to do more of that, uh, of sharing with our children, hey, look at these scars that I have, and I don't want you to have the same scars. I don't want you to be burned or, or broken in the same way. And then teens, young adults, my, my prayer would be that you would listen that you would hear, that you would heed those instructions, that you would see the scars of your parents and learn from their mistakes. And that all of us, whether parent or child, would, would begin to pursue Christ and say, hey, let's pursue Christ together. Let's submit to his lordship under uh, or over our home. Let, let's, let's orchestrate our household in a way that would be pleasing to him so that we can reap all of the benefits and none of the consequences of disobedience. Should we work on that this week and beyond? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you and praising you that we can call you, Father, that you have adopted us into your family. We also thank you that you have a desire to to shepherd and teach your children. Or that you have not left us to ourselves, but you have given us your spirit, which instructs us, which convicts us. You have given us your word to guide us, to teach us, to show us the way of righteousness, the way that we should go. And Lord, I pray that as, as parents, as, as children, that you would help us to walk in your ways rather than our own. That you would help us to glorify you, to be pleasing to you, to reap all of the benefits of doing things your way rather than our way. Lord, help each of us to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Help us to uh, repent uh, if we have been doing things our way. I pray that you would move uh, the children, the teenagers, the, the, the young adults here, that if they see and identify ways in which they have been rebellious towards their parents, areas where they have not obeyed, I pray that you would grant them repentance and faith to confess those sins, to turn from them and to turn to Christ. And I pray the same for the parents that as they take inventory of their lives, as they see whether or not they have been provoking their children to to anger, to exasperation, to cause them to lose heart, Lord, I pray that they too would confess and repent, asking for the forgiveness of their children. 
that you might grant us harmonious relationships between parents and children and that those relationships might be a beacon of light and hope to the world around us. That others might see those relationships and say, hey, how, how did that come about? And that we might seize those opportunities to give you all the glory and praise because of what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.